Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, a show that dedicates itself to the best racket sport in the world. For the most extensive tennis podcast, let's join Ryan Tennyson, Josh Campbell, Joel Fritchie, and your host, Val Febo. Finally, finally, Simona Halep has lifted aloft a Grand Slam trophy. After three failed attempts in finals, Deja Vu was taking place after being a set and a breakdown against Sloane Stephens in the Roland Garros final. However, she fought back to claim a remarkable title. Meanwhile, on the men's side of the draw, it was Rafael Nadal who continued his cataclysmic dominance of the French Open with his 11th Parisian crown, taking his total Grand Slam tally to 17. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and, well, I'm the only person on this show today. So, uh, Joel, living things up in Europe and in Russia ahead of the World Cup. So, we hope you're going well, mate, and uh, Josh Campbell could make it in today. So, can't wait to see him back very, very soon. But... Look, I'm going by myself today, so let's see Let's see how we go. I've tweeted out on Breakpoint. Ask me some questions in the next hour, and I will get those questions answered on air. Just to break things up a little bit, instead of just having a, uh, a French Open discussion, we're going to talk about the French Open. I'll review that and what happened over the course of the last two weeks, along with uh, Rafael Nadal, uh, Simona Halep, and someone, and people are now sparking the debate again of whether Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, if that was a fair fight, I don't understand what a fair fight is. They've both been playing for sort of similar amounts of time. And uh, who is the real GOAT? And personally, I think that the listeners on this show will know my opinions on this, that I don't think there's a debate at all. But I'm going to go through all of the uh, facts and figures of their rivalry and tell you why I have my feelings and why I, why I think the way I do. Not that people are overly interested in that, but I'm going to say it anyway. We're also going to talk the rankings in the post-Roland Garros rankings and what's happened, who's moved up in the top 10. There's an Aussie uh, man that's gone inside the top 100 for the first time. I'm going to reveal who that is, and it's a wonderful story what he's been able to do this year. And then we're going to talk about what's happening this week. And yes, grass court season has started the best time of the year, in my opinion, in the tennis calendar, and Stuttgart, Toggenbosch, and Nottingham are all underway, so we can't wait to talk about, or I can't wait to talk about what's going to happen there, and Roger Federer also back, playing for the first time since March 24, but look, we better get into Roland Garros, and what what a two weeks it was there, not the most riveting Grand Slam out of the four, and I think I mentioned last week I did a poll of what the most irrelevant Grand Slam was, and I said that it was Roland Garros, and uh, most of the people that did vote agreed with me. But look, Simona Halep, I think she stole the show. What an unbelievable performance from her to be on the brink of defeat, really, and come back and and fight with all her grit and determination and everything we know from Simona Halep to come back and knock off Sloane Stephens. And it was 3-6-6-4-6-1. She was down a, a break in that second set, but in that third set, it was all Halep, and what she was able to do, she got everything back. And as I said, it, it was like playing—it's like playing a, against a brick wall. That what—it might as well be Simona Halep's middle name because what she was able to do in that third set and just come back and hit everything that Stevens threw at her back over the net, and not only hit them back, but hit them back with interest. There were often a lot of times where Halep would get the ball back and manage to, you know, hit that winner. And that's that's what a true world number one and a true champion can do and just take your opponent's strengths and make them into weaknesses. And that's exactly what Halep did. She absorbed the pace of Stevens, didn't hit anything that was in Stevens' hitting zone, often deep, often deep towards the baseline and didn't give any didn't give Stevens 
anything to really get any purchase on. And that, that was where Halep won that third set and where the title was ultimately decided. And Stevens, what a fantastic two weeks it was for her as well. Remarkable story. Uh, didn't win a match for four or five months after winning the US Open. I think it was a 13-match winning uh, losing streak she was on. So uh, uh, really impressive. I didn't see her getting anywhere near the French Open final, but uh, knocking over her uh, good friend Madison Keys in the semis there, a rematch of last year's US Open final, but ultimately just too strong for Simona Hallett. But the crowd in the final, how vibrant was it that Simona Chance going echoing all around court Philippe Chatrier uh, it was something to behold, really, and you you couldn't help but feel sorry for Sloane Stevens because nothing seemed to be going her way. Things were hitting the tape and going over for Halep. They weren't going over for Stevens, and as things just kept rolling on in that final set, the crowd just wanted Halep to get over the line more and more, and the it was echoing around Paris, and unfortunately for Stevens, I think that might have got to her as well. It definitely was or could have been a factor in one of the reasons why that third set was such a commanding victory for Simona Halep, but uh, nothing for Stevens to hold her head down by, or, or for in this tournament. She was just, she was fantastic and could have won it. She's won a Grand Slam before anyway at the US Open last year, so definitely not the last we've seen from her in major finals, but if we get back to Simona Halep and what she's been able to do. And there were stories coming out that she saw Andy Murray's sports psychologist after Andy Murray. Uh, you know, he, he had his troubles winning a Grand Slam for the first time. He lost the, uh, the 2008 US Open final, the 2010 Australian Open final, 2011 Australian Open final, and kept making finals, but just couldn't get to that elusive Grand Slam title. And uh, he things just weren't going his way. But he ended up, and the 2012 Wimbledon final as well, we can't forget that against Roger Federer, he ended up breaking through at the US Open that year, saw a sports psychologist, so it was on his fifth attempt that he actually made the breakthrough and was getting a little bit better each time, lost the first two in straight sets, then his third uh, or fourth final against Federer. I think it was third, sorry. Uh, yet yeah, No, the first three lost in straight sets, then the fourth final against Federer, took a set, and then got two sets to love up against Djokovic. Djokovic did come back to his credit, but Murray held on and, and got the chocolate 6-2 in that fifth set. So it was something that I think Simona Halep, I think it would be something that maybe her coaching staff might have recommended to do because that stuff certainly does help your mentality. And it certainly showed uh, that she just didn't care. And the deja vu could have set in that Halep could have said, well, look, that's, it's just not going to happen for me. But it did because she kept fighting. She played her game. She stayed positive and she used her previous experiences to her advantage. She didn't want to feel the despair of what she had in her previous two French Open finals and the 2018 Australian Open final where she was favored to win against Caroline Wozniacki. So I think that's a remarkable effort from Simona Halep and as I said, it, it, she just gave Stevens nothing. But the big question for Halep now is the pressure finally off. Are we going to see the floodgates open and Simona Halep start to really take a few Grand Slams now? She'll be the favorite at the French for the next few years, just sheerly because of her the, or the way that she plays on clay and her success there in the past and now winning her first major there. Uh, she's made the final at the Australian. She's done very well at Wimbledon and the US Open before. So who's to say that Simona Halep can't go on and win a Grand Slam or win multiple Grand Slams in the future. She's a world number one for a reason. And that pressure of being world number one and not winning a Grand Slam, I think definitely 
it can weigh on you. And it did for Caroline Wozniacki. Carolina Pliskova had the same issue. She got to world number one last year, hadn't won a slam. But now Wozniacki has, now Halep has. Pliskova has to be the next person to do it. She needs to, I think, to get to world number one is a remarkable and, and a wonderful achievement in the tennis world. But I think a lot of people look down on the players that have got to world number one but not been able to win a slam. And I think we've certainly done it on this show. And I think Pliskova would be one that most people would love to see lift a trophy uh, at, at any any of the four. So hopefully she can because um, it's sort of going world number one, going to world number one and getting that slam is sort of hand in hand. And I, th- I think you'd love to see players uh, get to achieve both in their careers. And Simona Halep, the first Romanian to win a slam since Virginia Ruzici at the French Open in 1978. So what an unbelievable uh, way to cap off a brilliant two weeks of the women's draw. And if it didn't, if it wasn't good enough, Halep was greeted with 15,000 fans at a stadium reception when she got back to Romania. Um, and if you haven't watched the video, I do recommend it because it will send chills down your spine. Halep was almost in tears when she got back. And the love that Romania shares for Simona Halep and the love that the world shares for Simona Halep. She's one of the most likable players on tour, and it's genuinely fantastic to see her winning slams and doing well and getting to world number one because we need more personalities like her in world sport. But just a few other players that played throughout this tournament. Madison Keys got through to the semifinals. Probably wasn't expecting her to do so. Did so without dropping a set, but uh, did, did a brilliant job and just unfortunately couldn't push Stevens. And Stevens, I think they're great mates and they're great friends, and uh, she just... She just does struggle against Sloane Stevens in those big matches, does Madison Keys. But semi-finalist for her, she's back inside the top 10, had some really strong Grand Slam performances over the last six months. So big tick from her for her tournament. Sloane Stevens, as we said, phenomenal effort to get through to her second Grand Slam final. Big tick from her as well. Gabinia Muguruza was also one of the semi-final members. And well, what she did to Maria Sharapova in the quarterfinals is something that you should all watch because she was just on fire. There was Nothing that she could do that was wrong. Wanted to shorten the points and just didn't give Sharapova a sniff of anything. And to drop three games against someone that's won that tournament twice uh, was a phenomenal effort. Just couldn't get over Halep. Was a slow start in the first set. Lost at 6-1. Came back in the second. Was up a break. But Simona Halep just ran through. Won the last five games of the set. Just looked. She looked the part. And as soon as she beat Muguruza, I thought, geez, this, this might be the tournament for Simona Halep. She looks like she's on a mission. And it was a brilliant result in the end. But Gabinia Muguruza definitely deserves a big tick from her tournament because she looked very strong and very able throughout. So we might see her go on and defend her Wimbledon title. She's in a very good place to do so. But the women's draw, what a draw it was. And I think looking at what we can expect in the future, and I think Serena Williams is a big one. And what she, what, what can she do? For the rest of 2018, she made the fourth round, retired with a pectoral injury against Maria Sharapova, or didn't play, so gave Maria the walkover. So I think now looking at, at that, was it a smart decision from Serena? Was it smart to go and and not play that match? And a lot of people are saying we, you know, we feel robbed of of seeing such a marquee match at a French Open, something we never thought we'd see again. But I think I think it was a very smart decision from Serena Williams to actually go and retire and not play the match and you know forfeit her chances of winning a tournament. Serena Williams doesn't do that much. She'll go out 
pretty much 10 times out of 10, barring some catastrophe and a pectoral injury. When she's just coming back from injury, she doesn't want another setback. So it was a brilliant move from Serena. Knowing clay is her weakest surface, she comes to Wimbledon now, comes to the grass court season. Watch out. I think Serena Williams is definitely a chance to go very, very far at Wimbledon from what we've seen at the French Open because she has to move more on clay. Wimbledon, she doesn't have to move as much. So that's where I think we can uh, we can look at Serena and say that is a massive tick from that tournament. And uh, look, the Aussies, Ash Barty did okay, pushed Serena. Uh, obviously, when you're playing Serena in a Grand Slam tournament, it's going to be very difficult to beat. Played a good match. I was a little disappointed that Barty lost, but because Serena got to the fourth round, I think that's I don't think that's a bad effort. So you could give a sort of that horizontal hyphen or the line to, to Barty to say she didn't really impress, but she didn't disappoint either. Daria Gavrilova getting through to the fir- third round at a Grand Slam outside of Australia for the first time in her career. Uh, a self-confessed flop at slams outside Australia, but I think the thing is for her, getting through to that third round just takes a little bit of the pressure off. Got belted by Elise Mertens, but still got to that final 32. So I'll give her a tick for this tournament, and Sam Stoza I'll also give a tick to as well for getting through to the third round of Roland Garros for the 10th consecutive year. But Look, what a women's draw it was. Last year was exciting. This year, even more so. Uh, I think it's been the saving grace of Roland Garros for the last couple of years, the, uh, the women's draw, because the men's draw has just continued to be a foregone conclusion. And that is what I'm going to review after the break. Plenty more still to get through on Breakpoint Podcast. And it's going to be Rafael Nadal's 11th Grand Slam title, or 11th French Open title up next. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook Breakpoint or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you reviewing all the action from the 2018 French Open. We've spoken, or I've spoken about the women's draw doing this all solo today. So hoping that it sounds okay to all the listeners out there. But look, we've, we've got to keep pushing on even when it's solo. Breakpoint mustn't stop. And that's, that's the motto of this show. And look, I'm going to plug along as long as I can. And uh, hopefully it sounds all good to the listeners out there. But look, Rafael Nadal, what an unbelievable performance. Again, dominating Roland Garros, dropping just the one set en route to his 11th Roland Garros title. And look, staggering to win 11 at one single Grand Slam. I don't think anybody ever thought that that would be done. And especially when Roger Federer got to seven Wimbledons, most people thought that that would be... That would be the benchmark, but Rafael Nadal has taken his dominance at this Grand Slam to such a new level, and I don't think we'll ever see anything like it ever again. Margaret Court, the only other player ever to win 11 Grand Slams at one tournament, and that's at the Australian Open back in the 50s and 60s, 70s that that Margaret Court managed to do that, and that was part of her 24 that she won. So uh, Rafael Nadal in some elite, elite company there with his title and defeated Dominic Team of Austria 6-4, 6-3, 6-2 and Team getting through to his first Grand Slam final. That's the one I think that Team really needed to get to and uh, it might look it might take the uh, 
take the pressure off him a little bit that he's finally reached that that landmark of a final at a slam. I think winning one would probably would definitely, of course, it would be his benchmark. It's anybody's benchmark, really. Anyone's goal to win a Grand Slam. That's one of the main reasons people play tennis to win those big tournaments. And team did get ever so close, but um, unfortunately, just couldn't get the chocolates in the end. Played such a Phenomenal brand of tennis, defeated Alexander Zverev in straight sets in the quarterfinals. Does very well at Roland Garros quarterfinals. He's won three and zero. Finally got through a French Open semi. Uh, lost to Nadal and Djokovic over the last couple of seasons in straight sets. Ended up accounting for Marco Cecchinato in the semis here. Seven, uh, seven, six, or seven, five, seven, six, six, one. So ran away with it in the end there, team. But Nadal, let's get back to him. He's now won 33 of his 79 career titles at three tournaments. Monte Carlo, Barcelona, and now Roland Garros. But a tweet from Joel Newnham here, who's tweeted in uh, Breakpoint Pod, uh, and this is at New Joel. I thought Nadal's most challenging match at Roland Garros was his first round against Bellaley. I know that he lost the set to Schwartzman in the quarterfinals, but after he ran away with it. What do you think? How how do you think rain delays have assisted Nadal in recent tournaments? Um, I don't know about rain delays assisting him. It definitely helped in that match against Simon Bellaley because he just couldn't get clear and he was down a break in a couple of those matches and I do think the rain delay against Diego Schwartzman was at detriment to the Argentine because gave Nadal a day extra to sort of recuperate and relax a little bit and, and then he got his teeth stuck into that match and Schwartzman was ready. Schwartzman was playing such a wonderful brand and style of tennis and exactly what you have to do to beat Rafael Nadal. That first set from Diego Schwartzman is one of the best sets I've ever seen played against Nadal at the French Open, if not the best. Um, he was just sensational in what he was able to do. So uh, big applause to Diego Schwartzman for his effort in his second Grand Slam quarterfinal. He's now made, uh, reached the personal best at his last four Grand Slams. So uh, just scintillating tennis from someone that's five foot seven. He's so small in the scheme of things, but look, he's got a heart as big as a giant. So brilliant stuff from Schwartzman. But to answer your question, I do think his toughest match was against Bellaley because Nadal, he just couldn't get clear in that opening round match. And I think there were there were times in that where Bellaley, well, he definitely should have taken some sets against Nadal and at least the second or third he was up a break in both of them and just couldn't finish things off and had set points and and looked the goods at times but just wasn't able to come through and and do the job and that's where Nadal's so good you have to beat Nadal up until the very last point even if you're up six love six love five love and 40 love serving with three match points Nadal is not out of that match, and he will come back and fight back as hard as he can, uh, and th- uh, it just showed this tournament because he wasn't at his best for a lot of it, but he still managed to get the job done, and that's what those good players do. That's what Federer has done for so many years. It's what Nadal has done for so many years, what Djokovic and Murray used to do, and I think looking looking at those two and a, a tweeting from, well... A man that really needs no introduction, Ryan Tennyson, who's been a big part of this show over the last couple of years and since since our inception, really. Will Novak or Murray win another Grand Slam, or is this the end of the line for the pair? Well, look, Murray, I'm not sure. We haven't seen him play yet. Uh, hip injuries are very, very difficult to come back from, and he, he spent a good year out of the game now and wanted to come back and play in the Australian Open, had surgery in Melbourne, decided he needed it. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen him since. And 
I don't know if he's going to play Wimbledon with no preparation and things are looking really sour for Andy Murray at the moment, but I hope we can see him back, at least come back somewhat like Djokovic has. And look, I'm not convinced about Novak Djokovic either. I think the quarterfinals at the French Open is a fantastic result for someone that's been struggling for form so much. But the the big question is, how will he go with a more difficult draw? Rogerio Dutra Silva is a player that Djokovic would usually eat for breakfast and he struggled to get through that one. And likewise with Jorge Muna in the second round. But Roberto Batista Agu, that match was was clinical from Djokovic. And Batista Agu dropped chances. I think he panicked. Probably should have won that match. Had chances in the third set to go up two sets to one. Couldn't take them. And that's where, as I've said, Djokovic gets the job done. Fernando Vadasco, look, he's a bit of an enigma at times now with his age. Played brilliantly against Grigor Dimitrov to knock him out in the third round. Couldn't take a set off Djokovic. I was disappointed in Vadasco's result there. I thought Novak was there for the taking, but who could forget that quarterfinal? Marco Cecchinato knocking Djokovic off. Uh, one of the best tie breaks I've ever seen played. Um, one of the best tie breaks I've, I think Roland Garros will ever see. Um, just brilliant tennis. Had everything. It was gripping. It was nerve-wracking. The quality of tennis was sublime. And that's where that's where we saw a little bit of a glimpse of the Djokovic of old. But look, it was only a shadow of the Djokovic of old because there were forehands and some backhands as well that normally very strong Djokovic is with those. He just couldn't get any purchase. There was one running in on set point. He was coming into the net, coming into attack, and he just framed it into the crowd in that forehand in that tiebreak. So I, I think that's where uh, that's where Djokovic will struggle. And uh, look, I don't think Novak is winning a Grand Slam anytime soon. He might get back for one later on, but elbow injuries are so hard to come back from. And as we've said on this show over the last few weeks, just because Roger Federer has come back at 36 and won three Grand Slams after a knee reconstruction doesn't mean everybody can. Roger Federer is a very different player to what Rafael Nadal is, what Novak Djokovic and what Andy Murray is, because, and even Stan Wawrinka to an extent, because he's so graceful and light in the way that he goes about his game. Nadal is that bullocking type player that will just keep running and give... 200% into every point, not saying that Roger doesn't, but Rafa puts a lot more strain on his body, as does Novak, and especially with Novak, we used to call him the elastic man because he just used to get everything his body could contort itself into so many different directions, and that's where, that's why he was so good, and Murray would just run and run and run and run, but now they've all hit that post-30 mark, I don't think Nadal will catch Roger, even though he's three three slams behind. I don't think Nadal has three more French Opens left in him. He's not winning any other slams apart from apart from the French. Wimbledon is, I think, you can rule him out already. Even though he is world number one, hasn't got even close to a Wimbledon final since 2011, since the last time he went there. And then looking at Murray, we'll have to see him when he gets back and... Uh, Looking at Djokovic, I don't know. I don't think Djokovic will win another slam. I haven't seen enough of him yet. And I think the US Open is probably that time where we're going to get a good indication of where exactly he's at and what he'll be able to produce for the rest of his career. He's still going to be a difficult player to beat, but whether he can do it on the big stage and, and beat those top guys on the big stage, especially with players like Zverev and Shapovalov and, and Chilich and Del Potro all fighting for that mantle now of winning a Grand Slam. There's so many of them now that it's it's so competitive and Djokovic is going to have to get back to his best if he's going to compete and play and and you know reach that top or that top 10 again which I don't think he will at this stage and 
just haven't seen enough. But as I was saying with Nadal, I don't think he's going to win any US Opens anytime soon. Even though he did last year, I just don't see it happening. The hard court season really took a toll on him last year and uh, had to retire in the quarters of the Australian Open. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. His body, his body is a is a very intriguing thing, an intriguing notion in tennis, and whether it will hold up, uh, that's the question. And I, I don't think, uh, I don't know if it will for that long for the rest of the year. So my prediction still Roger to finish at world number one at the end of the year. But looking at at the rest of Roland Garros, it's for for some reason it just lacks a lot of prestige that that Wimbledon has and that even the US Open and Australian Opens have it just there's something about it that is a bit tedious Roland Garros and as we said last week there's there's always something that doesn't go right and I think that the facilities are something that need to be changed and that players need to go or that the tournament needs to get some or a roof or, or something which is happening so look I'm hoping that that does change and that the facilities at Roland Garros can be improved. They can become more fan-friendly. Um, it's probably the one that players don't like going to as much as the other ones. Um, so I, I think it's it's been an, it was an okay tournament, but as I said before, a foregone conclusion from the start. But just a couple of other players. Dominic Team, big tick. Diego Schwartzman, big tick. Juan Martín del Potro, semi-finalist for the first time since 2009 in Paris. Massive, massive triple tick. Back to world number four, his career high ranking. And of course, Marco Cecchinato, he gets a triple A plus because what an unbelievable tournament. Came from obscurity, won a title a couple of months ago, uh, had a match-fixing ban back 18 months ago and has never looked back. And look, semi-finalist at a Grand Slam now, that's something nobody can take away from him. Uh, what an unbelievable feat. But quickly, just before we do move on to the rankings, the Roger v. Rafa debate. Now, there's been articles written over the years and one written just this week in uh, the, uh, I think oh, it was somewhere in uh, the Daily Mail, I'm pretty sure it was in England, that Rafa is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, over Roger Federer. And I'm, unfortunately, I have to disagree because... What Roger Federer has done for tennis and is is a lot more and a lot more significant than what Rafael Nadal has done for tennis. And I just want to go through the statistics here. So the Roger v. Rafa debate slams Roger 20, Rafa 17 titles, Federer 97, Rafa 79. Big titles, so Masters 1000s, World Tour Finals and, uh, and Grand Slams. Federer 53, Nadal 49. Total wins on tour. 1,149 Nadal uh, for Federer. Nadal, 903 weeks at world number one. 309 for Roger Federer. Rafa, 177. That's less than Novak Djokovic. So Rafa, not even close to that. That's almost three years worth. And head-to-head, Rafa does lead 23-15. But most of those meetings have been on clay. If you take it off clay, Roger leads 13-10. But yes, Rafa has the Olympic gold medal in singles. Roger has an Olympic gold in doubles and a silver in singles as well. Rafa does have an Olympic doubles as well, so sort of helps him. He's taken more of the Olympic honors, but Federer is no slouch there either. I think he will play till the 2020 Olympics. That's the year that Federer will retire. You heard it here first. I've said that. I think I've probably said that a few times. But also, at the other Grand Slams, Roger's won six Australian Opens. Rafa won. Federer won French, Rafa 11. So that's where Rafa has made up a lot of the ground. Eight Wimbledons for Federer. Two for Nadal. 
Five US Opens for Federer, three for Nadal. So Roger has dominated three slams and still made four other finals at the French Open that Nadal conquered him in. So I don't think there's a debate. World Tour Finals, Federer six, Nadal none. Nadal's been complaining that it's on hard court. It's the most neutral. There's no reason to complain. There's just players that beat Nadal on a hard court. Um, I just don't think you should be complaining about things like that. And also, uh, there's one thing I do want to bring up before we move to the rankings. Now, Nadal takes way too much time in between points. And this is something that most players are, uh, are criminals of. They, they do it all the time. There's only a select few like Nick Kyrgios, Roger Federer, Gail Monfi. There's a lot of players that are quick. But Nadal, in that French Open final, there was a point where I think for six points in a row, someone timed the question, the amount of seconds in between his own service points. And looking at, I'm trying to find it now, but he gets, he doesn't get penalized for this enough. And it's, it's really, it's becoming a joke because what he's been, what he's trying, well, what he's getting him, what he's getting his opponent into. Sorry, I can't speak now because I'm, there's a lot of things trying to go through my mind, but he had about six points in a row where he went above 35 seconds and only got fined or warned on the fourth go. He should be getting fined or warned, sorry, at every point. Every time you go over that 20, 25 second limit, you should be warned. That is the rule. Umpires don't police tennis properly. And I'm sorry, if things were to be policed properly, Rafael Nadal would be losing first round every week because he'd be losing that many points on his own serve. I don't care how long you're playing for, you need to abide by the rules. And that's where the umpires aren't, they're not doing enough. And when Rafa has been pulled up on it, he's gotten angry and said the umpires will never umpire for him again. So this is a kind of a case of player taking over the game a little bit. And look, it's happened with so many of them. I think it's happened with Federer, Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, all of them. But it needs to be policed. There's a lack of respect for tennis umpires out there. And it is getting a little bit ridiculous. So that's the debate. There is no debate. Roger Federer is the greatest of all time. And Rafael Nadal, I'm sorry, you will have to sit down for second because Roger Federer, well, he will always be number one. Rafa's still got to, he's still got to win three slams. And who's to say Roger won't win any more? He's looking good for Wimbledon at this moment. But look, we better get into the post-Roland Garros rankings as well before we do get to a break. So the ATP top 10, a few changes here. Rafael Nadal still at one, only 100 points ahead of Roger Federer at two. Alexander Zverev at three, one. Martin Del Potro back up to fourth for the third time in his career. Equal career high. He's up two spots. Uh, one, uh, Marin Cilic down one to five. Grigor Dimitrov down one to six. Dominic Team up one to seven. Kevin Anderson down one to eight. David Goffin at nine unchanged. And John Isner at 10 unchanged. The Australians now are Nick Kyrgios down one to 24. John Millman down five to 64. Uh, Matt Ebden up four to 69. Jordan Thompson down four to 95. Alex Demonor up nine to 96. Tanasi Kokonakis down two to 150. Jason Kublet down one to 160. Mark Polman's up two to 175. Alex Bolt up three to 176. And Bernard Tomic up 25 to 181 in the world. The risers and sliders will start with some risers. Quickly, Marco Cecchinato up 45 to 27. Maximilian Martaro, the German, made the fourth round at the French up 20 to 50. Del Potro, of course, up 2 to 4. And Alex Diminor up 9 to 96. The young Australian, his first week ever 
and hopefully many more inside the top 100. Two big sliders that I thought of this week. Stan Wawrinka down 233 spots to 263rd in the world. That's a massive slide considering he made the final last year, lost in the first round to Guillermo Garcia Lopez this year. Andy Murray also down 110 spots to 157. Didn't even participate, so didn't defend his semi-final points from last year. The WTA now, and Simona Halep is the number one. She's extended that margin by a fair way to Caroline Wozniacki, who's at two. Gabinia Muguruza, three. Sloane Stephens up six to fourth in the world. Career high for her. Alina Svitolina down one to five. Caroline Garcia up one to six. Carolina Pliskova up, uh, sorry, down one to seven. Petra Kvitova at eight. Venus Williams at nine. And Madison Keys up three to tenth spot. In the Australian positions, Ash Barty at 17 unchanged. Dare Gavrilova down one to 26. Isla Tomjanovic down two to 71. Sam Stoza down 13 to 103. A first time outside the top 100 in a very long time. So disappointing to see. Arena Rodianova at 123rd unchanged. Olivia Rogowska up six to 147. Lizette Cabrera also up 6 to 150th. Priscilla Hon up 19 after a strong showing in Surbiton last week. She's up 19 to 164th. Career high for her. Destiny Ayava up 1 to 195. And Jamie Fallis down 2 to 209. The risers and sliders. Well, Sloane Stevens had to be one of them. Up 6 spots to 4. She's jumped more spots than her actual ranking is. So brilliant stuff from her. Uh, Yulia Potintseva as well from Kazakhstan. She's up 42 spots to 56th in the world after a quarterfinal display at the French Sliders of the week, Yelena Ostapenko down 7 to 12 after not defending her title of, from last year. So poor slide from her. And Kristina Mladenovic down 23 to 54th. And yeah, Mladenovic has in, well, endured such a poor slide and was in the top 10 in February and just hasn't been able to, to get back and, and really challenge those top players. And I think that's she's been one of the sliders of the year so far. So look, Plenty more of work, plenty more work to do. Her boyfriend Dominic Team has gotten through to a French Open final. Hopefully, that can inspire her over the next few months or so to get back inside that top fifty at least, because she's definitely got too much quality to be languishing outside it. So, plenty more still to get through on Breakpoint Podcast. We're going to preview all of the action, all of the upcoming action this week. The grass court season has started, and Roger Federer is back. So, all that and more on Breakpoint Podcast. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook Breakpoint or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you going solo today. And, well, we've reviewed the French Open. We've talked about the rankings and, and what's happened in the aftermath of Roland Garros. A few sliders, a few risers, and some pretty good ones at that. But, look, it's time for the grass court season. And let's preview all of the tournaments that are coming up this week. There's four, and we'll start in Stuttgart, where Roger Federer is back. Lost to Tommy Haas here last year in Haas's, one of Haas's last tournaments. So uh, he'll be back looking for revenge. World number one on the line for Federer. So can he get back there for a 310th week? Uh, he's the top seed. Luka Pui second. The defending champ, Thomas Burdich three. Nick Kyrgios four. Will he come back or will he pull out again? That elbow has really been causing him some problems and the shoulder too. Uh, Philip Kohlschreiber was fifth. Lost to Dennis Istomin 7-6, 7-6. Uh, Dennis Shapo 
Shapovalov, six. Uh, Milos Ranic, seven. Feliciano Lopez is the final seed at number eight. John Millman, an Aussie in the draw, lost to his doubles partner, Guido Paya, 6-2, 6-2 in the opening round. So disappointing there, but uh, picks here. I think it's pretty straightforward. I've gone Roger Federer over Thomas Burdich in the final. In Ertogenbosch, now the seeds here. Adrian Manorino at the top. Richard Gasquet second. The defending champ, Gilles Muller at three. Fernando Vadasco four. Stefano Tsitsipas at five. Uh, Tom, uh, Robin Haase, if I can speak properly there, uh, is at six. Yuchi Sugita, seven from Japan. And Andreas Seppi, eight, but lost to Mackenzie McDonald, six, four, six, Two. A few Aussies in this draw now, and Bernard Tomic, uh, he defeated Kevin King 6-4-6-2 in the opening round. He qualified for the tournament. Matt Ebden uh, defeated Tim Smicek 6-2-6-3, and Alex Bolt recorded his first ever ATP World Tour main draw win over Vasek Pospisil 4-6-7-6-6-2. John Patrick Smith, a lucky loser, and Max Purcell qualified, but they're both out in the opening round. Picks here, Gasquet over Jill Muller in the final. We'll move to the WTA now, and in also in Ertogenbosch, Coco Vandeweghe, the top seed, Elise Mertens second, uh, Kiki Burton's three, so Mertens and Burton's both in this draw, and at Contivate, the defending champ, she's played, uh, well, she's out, she lost to Veronica Kudur. Kudamatova of uh, Russia, 6-4-7-6. So poor result for her. Uh, Jung Shui lost to Fanny Stoller. She was the sixth seed, so she lost that 6-3-6-3. Alison Van Wietbank is the sixth seed. Uh, Alexandra Krunich, seven. And Arena Sabalenka, eight. Isla Tomjanovic also in this draw. She got over Kristina Pliskova, 4-6-7-6-6-2. So brilliant result from her. Picks here, though. And I've gone Tomjanovic to make the final. But Coco Vandewey, I think, will be too strong. She's a very, very good grass court player, so I think there'll be no trouble for Coco here. In Nottingham, the top seed, Ash Barty, she's Aussie, and we hope she can get through to the win. Uh, Magdalena Rubarakova at two, Naomi Osaka at three, uh, Johanna Conta at four. Can she get back to her best form? Grass, she does love it. Let's hope she can because uh, she's too good to be sitting in the 20s. Mihaela Buzanescu at five. Donna Vekic, the defending champ, at six. Zarina Diaz at seven. She fell to Sam Stoza, the Aussie, 2-1 retiring in the first round. And Camilla Georgie at eight, lost to Delila Yakupovic, 7-6-6-2. Ash Barty will play Yingying Duan in the second round after ve- defeating Stephanie Vogel, uh, 6-3-6-3. And getting to my picks... I've got Ash Barty again. She'll beat Johanna Konza in the finals. So uh, that's about all we've got time for today on Breakpoint Podcast. Voice did hold out, so pretty pleased with that. And thanks for your tweets, whoever did tweet in, because uh, just gave me a little nice little break up to answer some questions there. But remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, uh, and like us on Facebook at Breakpoint One. You can also subscribe on Wooshka. Uh, just search up Breakpoint, and we'll be on there as well as well as iTunes. So thanks for listening, guys. I'm Val Febo. Hope everybody has a lovely day and a lovely week.